Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. I am Michael Rosenberg, and today we are studying Masechet Sukkah, Daf Mem Gimel, page 43. On Sukkah 43a, we encounter a conversation with ongoing ramifications for our ritual practice on Sukkot. But before we jump in, we need a bit of background to make sure we're all, metaphorically speaking, on the same page. According to the Torah, the holiday of Sukkot lasts for seven days, after which another holiday, Shemini Yetzirah, occurs. Thus, if one were to follow only the instructions of the Torah, you would experience essentially eight consecutive days of holiday, the seven of Sukkot and the single day of Shemini Yetzirah. However, elsewhere in the Talmud we learn that because of the ambiguity of the Jewish calendar, some months have 29 days while others have 30, and originally the length of any given month was determined by testimony from witnesses in the land of Israel, because of that ambiguity, the practice outside of the land of Israel was to observe two days of every Yom Tov, of every festival day on which work was prohibited, in order to make sure that we were observing the holiday on the correct day. Of course, once the Jewish calendar became fixed by mathematical algorithm, this all becomes academic, leading the Talmud to defend the practice of two days of Yom Tov in the Diaspora as Minhag Avotenu Biadenu, the custom of our ancestors in our hands. This is what led to the differing practices among progressive Jews in the diaspora nowadays, some of whom maintain the Talmud's custom of our ancestors, while others observe the holidays in accordance with their biblical descriptions, as has always been the practice of the Jewish community in the land of Israel. But that's another, though related, conversation. Now, back to Sukkah. The Mishnah on the previous staff stated that, in the Jerusalem temple, the lulav is taken six or seven times during the seven days of Sukkot, assuming the practice of the land of Israel in which Sukkot lasts for seven days. The Mishnah goes on to make clear that only when the first day of Sukkot falls on Shabbat do we take Lulav on Shabbat. If any other day of Sukkot falls on Shabbat, we do not take Lulav that day. The Gemara is immediately bothered by this. Why should Shabbat render the mitzvah of Lulav inoperative? The late 3rd century Babylonian sage Rabbah responds, because you might bring your lulav to a teacher to learn how to do it properly, and in so doing, violate the Shabbat prohibition of carrying an item more than four amot, roughly two yards, in public. The Gemara objects to Rabbah's explanation. If that's the reason, then the first day of Sukkot should be no different from any other. After all, I'm just as likely to violate the Shabbat prohibition of carrying on the first day as I am on some other day. So why does the Mishnah say that if the first day of Sukkot falls on Shabbat, I still take Lulav, but on any other day of Sukkot, I would not? After one failed attempt to resolve this, the Gemara comes to a somewhat more satisfying answer. The obligation to take the Lulav on the first day of Sukkot, both in the temple and outside of it, is the core of what this mitzvah is about. It's the Deoraita, the biblical obligation. 
Thus, when the first day of Sukkot would fall on Shabbat, they would take Lulav anyway, despite the risk that doing so might lead to a violation of the restful atmosphere of Shabbat. But on any other day of Shabbat, both in and outside of the temple, the benefit of taking Lulav would be outweighed by the risk of violating that Shabbos peacefulness. But this answer is also flawed, because if that's the case, then even nowadays, in a post-temple world, we should take Lulav on the first day of Sukkot, even if it falls on Shabbat. The fact that we do not suggests the, di- the difference between the core, Doraita obligation on the first day of Sukkot, and the derivative Durabanan obligation on the rest of the days cannot be sufficient to explain why Lulav trumps Shabbat on the first day of Sukkot, but not on any other day. To this, the Gemara responds that we in the diaspora are not experts in the fixing of the calendar. We don't know when the first day of Sukkot really will be, and therefore have to be concerned about the possibility that what we think is the first day of Sukkot is really the day before Sukkot. That is, because we can never be truly sure that today is the, in fact the first day of Sukkot, when it is of utmost importance that I take Lulav, my observance of the mitzvah can never trump my fears about Shabbat's creation. But wait, if that's the reason, says the Gemara, then in the land of Israel where they do know how to fix the calendar, where they do know when the holiday begins, they should take Lulav on the first day of Sukkot, even when it falls on Shabbat, even nowadays, post-Temple. But we know that that's not the case. At which point the Gemara essentially peters out and admits, in hachinami, yes, I suppose that's right. The Gemara admits that that final argument, if this is about ambiguity about the calendar, then there should be a Palestine diaspora split, with Jews in the land of Israel taking the lulav even on Shabbat when it falls on the first day of Zukot, that that argument is a knockdown complaint, such that in the end the Gemara seems not to be, able to, to be able to explain why it is that in the time of the temple they would take the four species on Shabbat, both in and out of the temple, when Shabbat fell on the first day of the holiday, but not when Shabbat fell on any other day of Sukkot. Now, on tomorrow's daf, the Gemara will provide an answer to this attack, since in the diaspora we do not take the lulav on the first day of Sukkot when it falls on Shabbat, lest we be mistakenly observing Sukkot on the wrong day, Therefore, those Jews living in Palestine must also refrain from taking Lulav on that Shabbat so as to have a unified Jewish practice. The Rambam codifies this resolution in his classic code of law, the Mishnah Torah. Quote, Not even the residents of the land of Israel, who determine when the new month begins, take the Lulav on Shabbat, because of those who live in far-off places who do not know when the new month has been fixed, so that all will be equal and we won't have a situation of these who take the lulav on Shabbat and those who do not. Of course, there is something strange about this resolution. After all, there are all sorts of occasions when Jews in the land of Israel do one thing, and those in the diaspora have a different practice. For example, observing one day of Yom Tov versus two days. As the blogger BZ at his website Marabu puts it, quote, if the diaspora is already keeping a whole extra day of Yom Tov, then what's a lulav here and there? Some commentators, such as the Lechem Mishnah, a 16th century writer commenting on the Rambam, try to resolve that challenge, but I think we can turn to the Rambam himself for a possible resolution. 
Here's the exact language that the Rambam uses, including a phrase at the end that I left out when I cited him a minute ago. Quote, So that all will be equal, and we won't have a situation of these who take the Lulav on Shabbat and those who do not, since the obligation of the first day applies in all places equally, and there is no temple on which to hang it. Ein sham mikdash lahat lotbo. This last bit, there's no more temple to hang our practice on, is surprising, in part because it's unnecessary. The Rambam just gave us a reason that no one should take Lulav on the first day, namely, so as to have a unified Jewish practice. But what's more, this reference to the temple is out of place. The practice of not taking the Lulav on Shabbat, according to the Gemara and those authorities who rule based on it, results from historical vagaries about the calendar and the customs that those vagaries generated, but not about the destruction of the temple. So what is the temple doing here in Rambam's explanation? Commentators on the Rambam take a number of approaches here, but I want to focus on the language of Lahatlot, to hang our practice on that of the temple. It seems to me that there is something fundamentally different, experientially, about engaging in a ritual practice in my home community, with my neighbors and friends, but otherwise disconnected from a larger frame, and when I do something knowing that not only are Jews everywhere in the world doing this, but that somewhere there exists a model, a sort of platonic ideal, for what it is I'm doing. We've all felt this. It's why local communities shoot off fireworks on the 4th of July, even if we all know that the display in New York is clearly the most impressive. Sure, we gain by experiencing fireworks directly. The television broadcast of the Macy's fireworks might not be as fun as a display, even if less impressive, happening right before my eyes. But on the other hand, there is something powerful knowing both that communities around the country are doing the same thing, and also that there is one paradigmatic, ideal, particularly huge display out there that serves to provide a feeling of unity and shared purpose, a model for what it is we're all doing. Perhaps the experience of Lulav during the time of the temple accomplished something that our taking of Lulav nowadays simply cannot. A sense that I, in my home, in California, or in Paris, or in Tel Aviv, that I'm doing something exactly, that I'm doing exactly what someone, meant to represent our entire global community, is doing right now in a place meant to represent our shared communal home. Only that, that sense of shared purpose modeled by an exemplar somewhere in the world, only that is so important that it actually trumps the experience of Shabbat. In the wake of the destruction of the temple and its anchoring effect on our ritual lives, we are left to think about if and how we can achieve that feeling of reflecting a common ideal practice in our own lives. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.